0: This episode of Literary Treks is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than one hundred and fifty thousand titles for iPhone, iPad and iPod, Android, Kindle, Windows Phone, plus Mac or PC. To get a free audiobook of your choice, visit Audibletrial.com slash TrekFM. Hey everyone, I'm Rod Roddenberry, and you're listening to Trek FM. all these books? I thought I'd take some light reading, in case I got bored. Welcome everyone to another episode of Literary Treks, our dedicated Star Trek books and comics show. I'm Christopher Jones, and with me once again, as always, is my esteemed co-host, Matthew Rushing. Matthew, your screen name today says Starship Crasher Riker. Now are you talking about Mrs. Riker, Troy Riker, or is this Will himself?
1: Uh, it's Will himself. Uh in the uh book we're gonna talk to John Jackson Miller about uh Riker makes a really funny comment about how he, uh he crashed a Galaxy Clash starship once and he'd rather do that over and over and over and over again other than go on the mission that Starfleet is yeah. sending him on. So I thought that was pretty funny. Uh it you know, was. apparently both Rikers take responsibility for uh the you know, their crashing of a starship, so um You know, that's nice of them. I mean, they're both jockeying for position of being the one who crashed the starship. So uh, apparently, you know, I mean, that's a sign of successful marriage is when you're both fighting over who crashed the flagship of the Federation.
0: Well, he's standing up for his wife there. Yes, I I do remember that comment that he made in the book. (laughs) So, um, yeah. So like you said, we're going to have John Jackson Miller on the show today in the future to talk about Absent Enemies, his new Titan novella so i'm looking forward to that and uh, but we have a lot of news today matthew a lot more than we've had in recent weeks so i think we better just jump right on into this and what's the first segment we have today matthew
1: judge book by its cover we're gonna judge a book by its cover because when you see something on the outside you know exactly what you're gonna get on the inside because we're judging a book by its cover (laughs) I don't know if Sounds that's like the same one as last time, think, Chris. But I, I just jazzed it up a little bit, you know. Yeah. I, I was thinking about a little bit of uh, uh, James Darren in my head, you know. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah.
0: well, you know, Colin did Vic Fontaine and the jazz of DS9 on melodic tracks. I saw this past that last week, and yeah. So I thought maybe that helped you kind of refine the little jingle that you made up on the spot last week.
1: Yeah, um you know I don't know if that one is as good as last week so maybe you know if it's not you you could probably just take last week's and insert it there and and yeah. or every week that we have apparently judge a book by its cover I will <laughs> just make up a new jingle. Uh apparently I'm the Roots band uh by yeah. Jimmy with Jimmy Fallon. Um yeah. I'm almost as talented um and I am the only band that we have here at Trek FM, so sorry about <laughs> that, guys.
0: <laughs> That's right. I like the idea of just making up a different one every week. It's, it gives the show <laughs> a unique flavor. So, there you well, go. well, Matthew, this week, the book that we're judging by its cover is Fun with Kirk and Spock, which I remember that we did talk about a long time ago on the show when we first found out that it was going to be coming at some point. It's coming from Cider Mill Press. I tell you what, it looks like Kirk and Spock are up to no good on this cover.
1: Oh my gosh! This, what's great is that it does look like those, you know, Dick and Jane books from the the 30s, 40s, 50s, whatever. And uh, but yes, they're they're being quite mischievous here. Uh, it's it's a picture of Kirk and Spock sneaking up on Khan, who's still asleep in the Botany Bay. Yeah, it really does look like Kirk is just about to give um, Khan a good old wet willy to wake him up. Um, you know, and so <laughs> this book looks like it's going to be really funny.
0: It does, yeah. Th- this cover is funny. Wet Willie is perfect. Uh, You know, maybe if they were a little bit more devious, they might be doing the tape on the eyebrow thing, where you then just rip it off to wake him up, and his oh, eyebrows come or, off, or,
1: or put his hand in warm water, you know, to make yeah, him pee. yeah.
0: Fill his hand with whipped cream, and then oh yeah, then make him scratch him in his nose, yeah.
1: yeah, with a feather, yeah.
0: Something like that, but that's what they are up to on this cover. And so I can only imagine what we're going to see inside this book. I think that I actually am going to pick this up.
1: I think so too. Uh, It looks like a a lot of shenanigans are going to go down. Uh, You know, they they said, uh, you know, since the 30s, a book, Fun with Dick and Jane, and its various adaptations, you know, have helped children read. And so it's inspired several parodies with movies and television references. And But apparently none of them as clever as one written with Trekkies in mind. And so, uh, you know, fun with Kirk and Spock will hopefully delight Trek fans uh, with creative sequences and humorous illustrations. And if the cover is any indication, it does look like this is going to be very
0: funny. So Matthew, does this cover get our stamp of sufficiently exciting?
1: I think it does, Chris. (laughs) I think this is a sufficiently exciting cover um, and... Sufficiently funny for a parody. Yes, um, I think and so, so yes, I, I believe it does get our statement In fact, Chris, I think we need a like a stamp we sound do. effect, you know? Oh.
0: Okay. You I know? Think so I'll yeah. see what I can find right there. All right.
1: <laughs> oh goodness. So that's exciting. And then, you know, what's really cool, Chris, is um, you know, like you said, we got a lot of news today. And so I'm perusing around all my sites trying to find news. Come across our good friend Dayton Ward's website, and lo and behold, he's already got news about his next Star Trek book, and I'm really excited about this, Chris.
0: Yeah, this one's called Pale Blue Dot, and when I saw this, my first thought was that Brandon Braga has just finished remaking Carl Sagan's Cosmos TV series, and Pale Blue Dot was also a great book by Carl Sagan, a great science book by Carl Sagan that I read many years ago and i thought oh is dayton rewriting carl sagan but no no this is star trek focused
1: well yeah i mean it's probably close enough um you know carl sagan uh, also wrote tons of fiction so um this could one of my be favorite books of that. all time contact yeah uh now dayton was disappointed and he didn't know that he was going to be following up the fall that's Kind of strange to say, following up the fall. Anyway, um, with another fall. But no, <laughs> um, he didn't know he was going to be the next writer. And so he said, you know, if it had turned out to be him, he would have maybe ended the last book a little bit differently because he had this idea of putting Picard and Chin and, and them going off into starting a, a detective agency on Wrigley's Pleasure Planet or something like that. I, You know, I just feel like Beverly might not approve. You know, Chin is... Relatively hot, at least in the book, she's described as being beautiful, and you know, all she's young and whatnot. I don't, I don't know. I don't really picture her being really excited leaving, you know, Beverly alone. You know, now on beatspace Space Nine with Renee all by herself. You know, just yeah. doesn't, doesn't seem right. But
0: well, for those who aren't familiar with Chin, tell us a little bit about who Chin is.
1: Well, Chris, uh, one of the most interesting things about Chin is that is she is Vulcan, but Unlike most Vulcans, she does not suppress her emotions. And so she can tend to be a little bit crazy, a little bit wild sometimes. Um, she has kind of a checkered past that Picard has really kind of overlooked. And so it's actually made her a really interesting character watching him kind of shepherd this young, you know, instant in a lieutenant into something and, and shape it into something. So, you know, she's part Vulcan, part human. Uh, she doesn't follow Spock's mold where she's trying to suppress her emotions. And so it's actually made, I think kind of an interesting character to watch. And yeah, she's, she's also, you know, she's got the elf ears that we all like, you know? And so <laughs> I just can't imagine again, Beverly letting them just,
0: as you described her there, she reminds me a little bit of Vash, maybe Picard. This is his type, I guess he, this sort of uh, checkered past kind of wild woman, yeah.
1: yes uh luckily um actually a little bit better looking I think probably than vosh you know uh no offense to the actors well, is quite just, good looking yeah. so that's
0: um, so uh yeah a compliment. but
1: he said really as it happens, the enterprise e is is heading out into the unknown now and so it looks like it's going to be some good old fashioned uh, seeking out new life and new civilizations and all that you know, crap so (laughs) that we're so not used to right now and and so uh kind of exciting you know he he actually has to have the manuscript delivered by labor day and then uh will be published some point mid 2015 so we gotta wait a while for this one um disappointed on that part but excited that Dayton's going to be back in the 24th century next year so it's good to see
0: definitely so and we should say that same old crap. Those were not Dayton's words, right? Those were your. Oh no, your no, no! Word, so. I
1: d- I just meant, you know, that the whole like, I mean, how many times we always we always just quote the seeking out new life and new civilizations, right. you know? Yeah. Um, that's what I meant. Was kind of it's more the
0: the standard mission of the universe, you know, exactly. right? Yeah.
1: But um, most likely to it's it's going to have something to do with whatever's going on in the twenty fourth century. Uh, the books have been, you know, relatively well um centered in the sense of of there is a continuing story you and uh so I'm sure something in there will will play out that'll be interesting to everything else as well. So I'm excited. I love Dayton's work and, and I'm glad to see too obviously uh Twenty First Century did really well this year. Yeah. I mean, uh and uh they're gonna be continuing that next year as well. So
0: well I think the number of books that have hit the New York Times bestseller list consecutively this year um and and going back to autumn with the fall it shows that the audience really likes 24th century
1: yeah i agree um and so i'm glad that that's going to be the case and well and, and even more exciting uh our our friend james swallow uh going to be uh writing another star trek book and and actually it, it's been a while since he's worked in classic truck he he did the book about elias vaughn and Valeris and spock um cast no shadow in in the, the movie era and he said this one he's hoping is, is going to be something more and hearkening back to some of his favorite episodes like doomsday machine enterprise incident immunity syndrome so what do you think about that chris
0: Oh I think it's great. I always I know that if there are too many TOS books in a row we get kind of tired of them but I I really enjoy those stories and it's always great when someone like James can put one together for us. And what I really like I mean I just said you know the audience seems to want 24th century but what I really want myself is that mix. I want 24th century and I want 23rd century and and I want 22nd century as well with the Enterprise stuff. And so excellent. I, I'm really looking forward to that. And these are some of my favorite episodes as well.
1: Yeah. And that's a, that's great. And and I love this too. He said, he, they're also talking about another idea with a, another Titan novel. And, and now this one, nothing's confirmed there yet, but hopefully it's going to get to go ahead and, and be able to pick up after absent enemies here with John Jackson Miller. And So I'm really excited to see that. Uh, I, I love when James writes uh, the Titan. I think he gets those characters really well. And I do hope, I got my fingers crossed, that they will get that signed in some kind of contract form soon so that James can follow that up because that'd be fantastic.
0: Most definitely. Yeah. And I believe James made these comments in that recent interview that he did with Trek Corps.
1: Yeah, exactly. Um, the, the Trek Corps uh, posted an interview there with him um, uh, on the Poison Chalice, and he was just talking about some of the things that were coming up for him.
0: Yeah. And
1: so um, I'm, I'm glad to have caught that. I uh, appreciate that from them. Um, and what I'm really glad, you know, Chris, I've, I've been doing a lot of websites now, uh, Trek websites, really devoting more time to the Star Trek lit, which yeah, I am really excited about. I, I, you know, the more, the better um, because uh, it, it really helps fans one, know this stuff's out there. And I think it's really showing in the way that the sales are playing out as well. Yeah. Um, I think there's been a resurgence for fans and the excitement for Trek lit I think it also has to do with the writing. Um, I, I think that the writers that they have um, right now on staff uh, writing Star Trek books are fantastic. The ones they keep contracting. And um, I just hope it continues. So it's great stuff.
0: Definitely. Yeah, you see it at TrekCore. You see it at StarTrek.com. You see 1701 News and, of course, the the great eight five Trek Collective, which is, yes, is yes. a great source and, of news and for then, us.
1: Uh, as well, uh, treklit Reviews, um mm-hmm. it, who actually runs the he's the literary editor for Trek Corps and so um he has his own website. So yeah, it's just great to see that this this proliferation of of people really coming out of the woodwork to support Trek Lit and um I hope it continues again. And I, I'm just personally I'm really proud to to be a part of it with our show to help get people out there and knowing about what's coming.
0: Yeah, most definitely. And the next thing we have here, Matthew, is John Byrne expanding the photo comics that we talked about. This is Star Trek Visions. And, of course, we talked about the story when it was announced that it would become an ongoing series. We've gotten some more comments now from Chris Riel, IDW's chief creative officer and editor-in-chief, who says that what John does on these photo novel stories is nothing short of amazing.
1: Yeah, um, you know, I I think it's it's really interesting, Chris. You know, we've talked about this. We both um I guess you could say we both kind of have reservations about it. And I I'm, I'm hoping that it will win me over. Um now the the cover alone for the for the next series they're going to do, which is is going to be um off the Mere Mirror, Mirror episode, it's going to be called The Mere Cracked. Uh, the cover was fantastic, actually. Great work by John Byrne there. Um, and, and this is going to be a bi-monthly series. They're going to call it Star Trek New Visions. And so, um, and it looks like each of all of these, it looks like each of these is going to be an extra length affair. So probably like a 48-page a comic. Um, And actually means, of course, they're going to cost a little bit more. But i when I think about probably the work that he's having to put into this it it's extensive it's It's not just a your normal comic. I mean you're having to do a lot of painstaking work here yeah um, and so uh, well,
0: you know the other I, thing that Rael says here is that he's moved far beyond photo manipulation and montage to constructing his own set pieces, uniforms, and characters, much more than just comic stories. These tales are the closest thing to original series era lost episodes. That the world will ever see. And like you said, if he's really getting into, as it's described here, his own set pieces and uniforms and characters, then that really is quite a lot of work. And it it is beyond what you might initially think of, of just taking steels and, you know, putting them in Photoshop and sticking them together.
1: Yeah, so th- this is uh, going to be a lot of work, and and I think that going that way, Chris, is is really going to create something that I'm going to be a little bit more interested in yeah. than just the photo manipulation. But by creating their own sets and everything like that, I- I'm actually a little bit more excited to see that work than than I am, um, you know, just kind of going into Photoshop and, and manipulating some photos, right. yeah. um, because you really are in in a way creating brand new episodes of. The original series in a way that you know you couldn't really do unless i guess you went and did uh you know animated series yeah. which honestly i chris i don't know if we ever talked about this but goodness you know with the 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 amazingness of the clone wars star wars coming out with their new show rebels um i think you could do an incredible jj verse cartoon like that that would just be amazing yeah. Um, yeah. you know, I mean, and and you, you could get all the actors probably to come in and voice all of the episodes, you know, rather quickly and then, you know, you just line that up with whatever the animation is. I don't know. I personally I would be all for that idea.
0: I would enjoy that. Yeah, we've talked about that some on the Ready Room before. I know. And who knows? Uh, you know, I I do think there's a possibility that the next Star Trek series will end up being an animated series before we get a live action series and and it may be Abrams verse. So we'll see. But yeah, I think there's an audience for that.
1: Well and see, that's the other great to idea too, because you really could go back and do, you know, say next gen characters, any of that by doing an animated series. Mm-hmm. And I mean Jonathan Frakes is a fantastic um voice actor. Yeah. Uh he he worked on Gargoyles. Um so did Marina Sirtis. Uh, well, so and Michael do Dorn Titan is on, series it works on all Michael kinds Dorn of stuff. exactly uh yeah. you know so those those guys really have done this kind of work before they know what it takes um and uh man I would be I would be all for you know putting Titan in an animated series um you
0: know See that would be cool because Titan is is a series that really needs to be animated so that they can really bring right. the books to exactly. life Exactly uh, without breaking the bank
1: yeah yeah, I think it would be fantastic. So, um, you know, Paramount take our ideas, take our money. At that point, you know, uh, we we love that idea. at CBS, we're we're just handing you fantastic ideas here. <laughs> um, and gosh, I I can't imagine. I mean, I don't. I can't imagine Frakes or Cirque's so turning that kind of stuff down because y- you know how much they love this. Yeah. Um, yeah. and oh, I'm I, sure they I, would even, do even it. they have talked about that idea of having a yeah. Titan show. So oh, yeah. uh, I think it would be great.
0: Yeah, definitely. Well, one more item in news today, Matthew, and when I saw that this was updated, I thought Matthew's going to be so excited. This is the fantastic Tretlet reading order flowchart over on Trek Collective, and I had gone over there recently, I don't remember when, maybe maybe last month, um, and just to see, you know, what is the status of the flowchart, and I saw some comments being posted and people were asking, you know, are you going to update the flowchart? with the fall. When are you going to uh, let us know how all these things connect? And finally it's, it's ready. It's live.
1: It is Chris. Uh, and eight of five and Thrawn from, uh, the, BBS trekboards have done a fantastic Bob job of, of reworking this. Um, it's bigger. Um, you know, for me, what's really awesome is on my 27 inch iMac, it fills up the entire thing, mm-hmm. but I can see all of it and it's huge. Um, so it's really <laughs> great. What's really nice is that at the bottom, they've made a key for this. So they have series indicators as well. So each book has next to it. Some dots, And each of those dots has a color, and that color represents the series which that book follows. So say Paths of Disharmony by Dayton Ward. If you see that on there, it tells you that uh, the little dot, it's a Next Generation book, but it's also a Typhon Pack series book. Um, So each of the books has that, and it's really fantastic. I love it because it kind of just helps you keep in mind when you're looking at this an even better way of understanding the flow chart um, and how it works. It looks a little daunting at the beginning, but honestly it makes perfect sense when you just look at it for a few minutes. Um, Oh yeah, definitely. You know, I, I can't tell you how many times I tell people if you are trying to get into Star Trek books and you're not sure where to start, you need to check out this flowchart we're going to definitely link to this in the show notes and um, it is it's the thing that you need to help you figure out where to start so uh and you know you you know where to start if you want to get into the next generation um, right before nemesis or after nemesis you know exactly where to start with ds9 after the series, um, you know exactly what to do with how does Titan fit in with that next generation relaunch. Uh, and all of that stuff is, is fantastic. So, And it's all here for you. In fact, you even know how the Enterprise series fits into the Destiny series because you can see mm-hmm. how that connects. Um, yeah, it, it, cool. This is a really great... Uh, work here and I really appreciate these guys. You know, I use A to five site Trek Collective all the time for news. And I send people here all the time for this uh flow chart because there's no better way to keep track of Star Trek literature than with this flow chart. So well done guys. Well done.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I use this flowchart myself. It should be bundled with every Star Trek novel. It should be printed <laughs> well, it, like in oh, fold gosh. out in the back.
1: Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know it's funny i actually do chris uh, i printed it out at work on an 11 by 17 sheet trying to get oh, yeah. just the right it it doesn't fit as well um but it, it's still nice to have but it is something that every trek fan should have and that's one thing that i loved about star wars books is that they would have the chronology in mm-hmm. the front of the book so you'd know where the book fell in you know the 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 larger time frame of star wars and so this is a little bit harder because you know star trek books don't always c- connect exactly like that but it, it does a really good job um and uh, i really like it and everybody should go check it out
0: most definitely so yeah we'll put a link to that in the show notes and the site again is the trek go over there a really fantastic site Well, that's everything we have in news today. Before we jump into our interview with John Jackson, Miller, Matthew, we'd like to tell everyone about our sponsor for today's show, Audible.com. Audible is the premier source for audiobooks. They have over 150,000 titles for you to choose from. They put hundreds of new books on the site every single week, and they have new releases. They have classics, bestsellers, business, science, comedy, They have some of the most famous Star Trek books. And what they also have, Matthew, and what I'd like to recommend today in honor of our guest, is they have John Jackson Miller's Kenobi, the Star Wars book from last year that he wrote. And I know you're a big fan of this book.
1: I am, Chris. Uh, It's a really great book. One, Obi-Wan Kenobi is my favorite Star Wars character. Uh, And to me, the ultimate Jedi. And so I was really excited when this was going to come out. The coolest part about this book, Chris, is that it takes place after Revenge of the Sith, when Obi Wan Kenobi is on Tatooine, watching over Luke and kind of about his life of of trying to figure out, okay, how do I go from being you know you know an intergalactic hero and and somebody who's used to inserting himself into situations to help people, to to living as basically a hermit and and how difficult that is for him and and really what's really neat is is basically. It's the old Western Shane, but in Star Wars, and so Obi Wan mm-hmm. Kenobi is is basically Shane, and it, it is a fantastic book. I really do love this. I highly recommend it. Um, and I know the audiobook would be great. I uh, I only actually read this, unfortunately. I I I don't do a lot of audio books, but man, if that's the only way you can get this, get this, and and support one John Jackson Miller and two Audible, which they got they are fantastic. That's where I got my um in the darkness a book from when i was doing the audiobook review from them they're great the app works fantastic you can't go wrong with audible
0: no definitely not and yeah this is uh it's a really great way to experience the novel Kenobi. it's narrated by jonathan davis and it's unabridged so it's, uh, it's actually 13 hours and 36 minutes. So if That's you do awesome. a lot of commuting, and uh, and what's great about Audible, the app too, this is what I do, is that you can control the speed. So you can listen at it at like 1.5x, or what I usually do is 1.25x, because it just speeds the book up a little bit, but it doesn't really affect the, uh, my ability to understand it. In fact, it actually helps a little bit because I find that sometimes narrators speak a little bit more slowly than I prefer. So I put it on 1.25. So that, that 13 hours that drops down, you know, get through the book faster But it's just, it's a wonderful way to experience books. Now, the regular price for Kenobi is $31.50. The member price is $22.05 or one credit. But as a Trek FM listener, you can actually get this book absolutely free. All you need to do is go over and sign up to try Audible. That's audibletrial.com slash trekfm. And when you sign up, you can get this book or any book you want absolutely free. And then you'll be trying Audible for 30 days, and if at the end of that time you decide not to stick with Audible, you get to keep this book. That's yours, so nothing to lose, and by supporting Audible, you'll be helping us keep literary treks coming to you every week, and you'll be getting some great books in the process. So again, go over to audibletrial.com slash and sign up, and we really thank Audible for helping us bring our shows to you.
1: Well, Chris, I'm really excited tonight. One is because we have an author on the show, which I know the listeners love. But two, we have a brand new author to Star Trek Lit. Uh, John Jackson Miller has been writing for a long time. His first novel was actually uh, Star Wars Knight Errant, which was released back in 2011 uh, with Del Rey. And it was alongside a comic book series that he had been writing of the same name. Uh he's written several other Star Wars books including uh the Lost Tribe of the Sith ebook series as well as Kenobi which man featuring my favorite Jedi during his exile on Tatooine while watching over Luke and then what was really cool is he had his uh first non-licensed work Overdraft the Orion Offensive come out in 2013. Uh now what's really neat about John Jackson Miller if you don't know guys he's also written comics ranging from Marvel comics of Iron Man uh, and the Crimson Dynamo. He's got uh, Bart Simpson comics. He's done Star Wars Empire for Dark Horse. And of course, he was a regular writer for the Knights of the Old Republic and did the adaptation, the comic adaptation for Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. And tonight he's here to talk about his newest licensed work uh, and his inaugural Trek lit book, star trek titan absent enemies so john jackson miller welcome to the show hey
0: glad to be here hey welcome john
1: excellent well it's so glad to have you here tonight um one for me you know i'm i'm a star wars guy as well as a star trek guy so it was really exciting for me when i learned that you were going to be writing for star trek um i i i was like is that a typo is, you know, when I saw that on, 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 um, I was like, he only does, he only does star Wars. And, and so, so glad to see you, but for you, you know, I always wonder how did you get into writing and, and, and was it something that you always wanted to do? Um, that was your drive or is it just something you fell into or what, what got you into, you know, writing books and comics?
2: Well, I started collecting comic books uh, when I was 6 years old. Uh my mother was a grade school librarian, so you know, where other people's mothers said they, you know, threw their you know, their mothers threw their comics away. My my mother you know told me <laughs> to put my comics in order. Uh so I still have nice. everything that I ever had, uh that I ever bought. Uh, and of course this was the the 1970s and you know when I was starting to read this stuff and uh, you know, Star Wars comes out in 1977. Uh, you know, before then, I'm watching you know uh, the Star Trek cartoons on the TV ser- uh, on you know on mm-hmm. NBC, I guess it was. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know, the I was also you know, getting into Star Trek, seeing the uh, the TV episodes from the original series. Uh, right. So you know, I think the very first uh, comic book that I drew of my own. Uh, was age six, and it was uh, it was uh, you know a, a science fiction you know space exploration comic series, uh, you know with a with Very a cool. you know a kid and a spaceship and his dog and uh, oh nice. So uh, you know, I continued to <laughs> do my own uh, you know comics and write my own stories, uh, you know through high school. Um, in high school, I actually started publishing. Uh, my own fanzines uh you know doing reviews of comics and and movies, and uh you know my own mini comics I was uh you know trading back and forth with people around the country you know these days people would do a web comic, but you know we were just using a right. photocopier and you know running these things off and sending them around uh and you know i didn't get into actually you know writing fiction and writing comics professionally. Uh, directly, I I started as a, as a journalist. I uh, okay. Okay. in 1993, I became the editor for the trade magazine for the comic book industry, uh, a magazine called Comics Retailer, uh, right. and right. also was the uh, managing editor and later uh, editorial director for Comics Buyers Guide, which is uh, okay. you know, yeah. the long running newspaper and. Again, that's a that's a that's a magazine that has a, a very long history both in comics and in uh you know science fiction as well. Uh that was a publication that uh Walter Koenig subscribed to back in the nineteen seventies and <laughs> and you know, it was a focal point for some of the very earliest uh you know, the letter writing campaigns and, and things like that uh, to get Trek back right. on the air uh you know, someplace. Uh, I would I would go back yeah. and look at some of our old back issues when I was working there and you know read up about Star Trek II and the various other oh wow yeah you know the the, the you know the the sequel series that they were supposed to do and things uh, that they were discussing in that yeah, age yeah, yeah. so so it was really fun to be you know working at, in a day job where I got to work with Star Wars and Star Trek uh although i wasn't actually contributing to those universes in in that in that stretch in there i was actually also the editor of a magazine called scry which was the card game magazine uh for mag- mm-hmm. uh, for uh, you know games like uh, uh magic the gathering and uh pokemon and
1: yeah, you know i
2: i got to edit articles about the star trek uh card game and of course i'd been into into gaming for uh, for years as well uh, you know i i you know, I think my first star trek uh, game that i 've got 's got to be uh, you know one of those old West End games that they did the board games back in uh, oh, wow back in the oh, eighties yeah, yeah, yeah. and of course, yeah. I read the fasa role playing rules and all these things back then uh, it i didn 't get to move to the other side of the camera, I guess if you want to call it that um, mm-hmm. until two thousand and three. Uh, when I got the chance to start writing my own comics, uh, or, or start, mm-hmm. start writing comics for Marvel, um, I, I wrote uh, a series called Crimson Dynamo uh, based on mm-hmm. Iron Man yep. villain, and then uh, that led to a run writing Iron Man itself for a year, uh, and yeah, then I, cool. yo, that was that was a lot of fun, um, and then as you said, I, I went into Star Wars, and I, I got into that uh you know just a little at a time with uh just a single issue that I did for that series uh Star Wars Empire that led to me getting to develop a series for them, which, as you said, was Star Wars Knights of the old Republic and then that thing just kept going on and on and on it went uh, it, it went, did <laughs> it, yeah, yeah it went yeah. fifty uh fifty issues you know, fifty six if you count uh, the limited series that we did and and the zero yep. issue. All under one writer—that's pretty unusual for comics. Uh, and, yeah, no kidding. And it gave me a chance to really test my abilities to, you know, build onto a licensed uh, universe, onto a licensed world. Uh, and and so yeah, that 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 was how I got into it on the comic side. Uh, on the prose side, uh, you know, this is kind of interesting. I wrote Star Trek prose before I wrote any Star Wars prose at all. Really? Um, this, wow. is, uh, this is this uh, is uh, you know one of those little known things. Uh, well, nobody, nobody would have known it, but uh, I, right. did a, <laughs> I did. I did. I submitted a story. I think in two thousand to uh, Strange New Worlds. Uh, okay. And that was that was the uh, you know the talent search book that they they were their series of books that they were doing. It was a fun little story. It was a it was a Scotty story. It was. Probably a bit over the top. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I know. I think it was Dean Wesley Smith may have been editing those. I I, I know he, he wrote that he liked the story, but it, I think it was just a little bit too over the top. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And you know, I I really uh, you know, it, it was one of those things where I was looking to write for whoever would you know, give me the the chance next, uh, and I. Did have a shot at writing uh, one of the uh, Star Trek uh, SCE books, the Starfleet Corps of Engineers. Okay. That yeah. you know, takes us right. back to yes. Scotty again. Uh, I, I had a pitch approved for that uh, just in time for the series to be uh, canceled. So, oh gosh. <laughs> so if, if things had gone a little bit differently, uh, you know, my first you know prose wouldn't have been Star Wars. It would have been Star Trek. Right. So it it really did not feel to me like a big departure to to get to do it uh, to get to do it now. And of course that's how that's how things came about. After I had done some uh, you know novels uh, for for Del Rey, and uh, then I did my own science fiction book that uh, came out last year called Overdraft: The Orion Offensive. Uh, yes. I you know I had been talking for a while with the uh, the folks at Pocket Books and uh, Ed Schlesinger and Margaret Clark. Uh, and uh, they suggested, uh, you know, Margaret suggested, hey, how'd you like to write something for, uh, you know, the, the Titan series? Or Actually, actually, I was, I was simply offered a novella, uh, and I got the choice to, you know, choose which uh, crew I wanted to write, uh, you know, work oh, wow. with. wow. And I had always been a Riker guy. So I, nice. I, okay. yeah, I, that's I, awesome. I said, okay, this 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 could be a lot of fun and it was. Definitely. That's so cool.
0: Do you also step over the backs of chairs to sit down like Riker does
2: <laughs> I I think <laughs> that there might be a moment like that in the book I can't quite remember but
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, I know. I remember that he throws
1: a chair. He throws a wall. chair,
2: and we have a couple. Yeah. We have a couple yeah. of moments yeah. that could be called uh, facepalm moments. Yes. Uh, <laughs> yeah. This it really was, awesome. was a, a story I, I wanted to write because they, you know, uh, Margaret had told me that we were going to be placing this novella right after the end of the fall, which is the the group of you know novels that came out yeah. in in the fall. Uh, of this last year, and there were you know we were going to have all these big events happening in these other books, and it just struck me that you know a novella being shorter than everything else, and also being an introductory point uh, for a lot of people who don't normally right. necessarily get into the uh, the tie-in uh, you know novels, it, it struck me that this would be the opportunity to do kind of a lighter story. Uh, you know a Definitely. a story that uh had uh you, you know it had the feeling of one of the episodes that we would see of the T V series, of the various T V series. Yeah. Uh you know, the trouble with trivial tribbles kind of episodes where you know it's it's not the the fate of the galaxy on the line. Uh it's it's something where uh yeah there are important stakes and there are there are, are important things going on but really i think what this story is is it's a, it's a mystery uh told over the course of uh you know what would be a a uh, the equivalent would be an hour of a tv show uh, and uh you know i think there's some fun character moments and uh you know we all, i also kind of got to do a little sequel here of uh one of the next gen episodes i liked at the same time
0: right
1: yeah i think to me too when i read one of the the, the ebooks uh the, the novellas that, that they've been doing more of for star trek the highest praise i can give it is to say this feels like an episode of the show yeah it does um whatever show that it's kind of based off of and and this really did feel like a, a great uh, episode of the of the next generation that was a little bit more humorous um and it was kind of nice to have that lighter tone that kind of insurrection tone um because star trek can do humor really well and and you know after the fall it was nice to have something that was a little bit lighter and a little bit funnier um and uh you know with with riker as an admiral it was kind of like you just plopped him into an out of you know a fish out of water situation that he's Mm -hmm. just not really comfortable in and just kind of let him go. And it was, it was fantastic.
2: Well, thank you. I, you know, that's exactly what I want to hear when somebody reads one of these things that it feels like the source material. This is why we, you know, read tie-in fiction. Uh, This is why we read tie-in comics. We're, you know, we're trying to recapture um, or build off, build off of, you know, the feelings that, that, you know, are brought to us by the source material, um, and you know that the whole reason that there were tie-in novels to begin with, uh, you know, in in the old days was you know there was not that opportunity to uh, you know watch DVDs of a TV series or of a right. movie or or Damn. you know not even to really see reruns in some cases uh, for a long time. There, it, this was uh, this was a way of extending the adventure for people. Uh, that could not otherwise you know have a chance to uh, see a film again or see a TV episode on demand uh, whenever they wanted to, uh, and so yeah that really is to me uh, you know the the uh, the best thing that that you can say uh, to an author to somebody uh, who 's done one of these books is you know this is this is this feels like it belongs um, you know with this material. Uh, and of course the, the 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 other you know best thing that you can say to an author is that uh, you know this this would be a good book even if it weren't a tie-in and i i think that's what you want to strive right. for as well uh you know we really want to tell good stories and we want to tell good star trek stories at the same time or good star Wars stories or simpsons or conan or whatever we're working on uh but you know you're trying to do both of those things at once
1: definitely for for you um you know, we we talked a little bit about um, this on the other side of the page uh, before we got started. Just uh, Star Trek lit, like like Star Wars, has a pretty extensive continuity. Um, for you, it was kind of nice when you were writing Star Wars because you were writing in a time period where you weren't having to worry about a lot with uh, your Knights of the Old Republic or the Knight Errant. Um, you mm-hmm. you got to kind of create a lot of that. But you know, jumping in after the fall. Uh, series here with absent enemies you're you there's a lot of continuity that's happened to these characters since the last time we saw riker on screen which was a nemesis Mm -hmm. um have you been one have you been a reader of star trek lit so that you were kind of caught up or, or did they kind of have to give you the rundown of everything
2: well, I've uh, read quite a lot of the books, uh, you know. I, I and you know, Titan. I, I really like uh, you know, synthesis. That was the the James Wall yes, that. Yes, yes. Yeah, you know, that I, I grabbed that one immediately because I I was a big fan of the whole minuet storyline that we had back in next yes. year. Yes. Uh, so I I'd read some of these books, and you know, I'd been provided some as well uh, by the editor, and uh, also provided some supplemental materials on you know who was where. Yeah, uh, you, know, you never get everything perfect, uh, and you know I, I, there's a learning curve in any universe that you're working with. I, I, with I, you know I dealt with it on Mass Effect. I dealt with it on Star Wars. I'm, I, you know here too. You know I, I, you know, my own facepalm moment was. You know, on the very last page of the book,
1: I, I saw got, that I,
2: I got the I got the and the Sana mixed up, oh, <laughs> which, yeah. which uh, you know it, it was one of those things where you, you you read it you think oh I must have gotten that right in the beginning and I would never check it again uh, and that is you know we're we're going to fix that in the in the in the in the in the ebook release because you can actually go back in and and fix things in the uh, in the digital version uh, but you know there's always a uh, there's always a learning curve and you know the fans want the same thing we want we just want everything to be consistent and everything to be correct and uh, we want the universe to work and be coherent and right uh, so yeah i i you know i i uh, i think that the trick with these things as well is knowing how much of what exists to bring in uh, right, And particularly in the case of uh, a, a, a novella and an e-novella at that, uh, the, the goal of the project is uh, to a degree uh, dictated by the medium uh, because the idea with these things is to go out and target the new reader, uh, to go out mm-hmm. and target the reader who is probably – more familiar with the TV characters, uh, the movie characters, those incarnations, uh, than you know what's been out there in the literature. Uh, you know, with a product like a project like this, we're probably more likely to you know highlight the more familiar names. So, for example, here we had three major point of view characters, uh, and I chose Riker and Tuvok and uh, Christine Vale. The notion there okay. being, yep. okay, we have these two characters who you know are very familiar to to viewers, uh, and so they've already got their voices built into people's minds. Uh, and then we introduce people to Christine, who's our doorway to you know this other cast, this wider cast that we've got out there. And you know the hope is that when people get to the end of the book, uh, you know, they're gonna go and pick up the other books. And it'll be a little bit easier getting into those books because now there's additional characters that they know about. Right. Uh, and so, yeah, I, I think that, uh, definitely the approach is always different, uh, depending on what the target audience, what the target purpose, you know, and certainly the length of a book like this, you know, a novella, uh, you know, I, I tend to not add more characters than I have to have anyway. Uh, because otherwise it just gets to be too burdensome on the reader and on me and it's more names and ranks to get wrong. Uh the I think the the best thing uh to do in a really short work is to kind of keep it you know laser focused on uh you know a a small to middling cast. And then with things like you know I I've I've got this other you know the Star Trek novel for 2015 lined up. You know that's going to be a much different feeling to that both in tone and also, you know, we're going to have a much larger cast in that.
1: Right. Well, and I think one of the neat things that, you know, James did a a great, um, novella, uh, about Picard and the Nexus. And, you know, I've I, I found that reading the novellas uh, are fantastic because you really do get to do smaller character pieces. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they don't have to be massive uh, universe-altering stories. But they can do a great job of giving you an in-depth look at a character that, you know, like we, we were talking about. You, you've you seen Riker, and you may have last seen him on screen in Nemesis. And now, you know, when you come after the fall, he's an admiral, um he has a kid you know he is married to troy they've been married for a while he was the captain of the titan he's not now i mean he's got a lot of things going on and so this story really kind of gave you uh, an opportunity to to let him wrestle with all of those issues as a character in a smaller way without feeling like you also have to throw in the entire galaxy's demise as the backdrop to that yeah you know, I mean I that's, that's one of the I, great things I
2: think you know anyone who reads this this you know this novella will know that he is now the you know he's got this, this you know role as an admiral but what I don't do is I don't go into why he's the admiral or, or, or you know right, I, everything right. behind that uh, I imply that there's a backstory there and people can want to go and you know people the hope is people will want to go find out more and that they'll that they'll uh, they'll get the books um, but you know, it, it's 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 always a balancing act, uh, you know, just like it's a balancing act. How much stuff do you establish in your own story? Uh, and that's one of those places where, having worked in all the various franchises that I've been in, you know, I try really hard not to establish a whole lot of stuff uh, so that, you know, it confines other writers one day. Uh, you know I might be right. one, I might be one of the authors that gets confined by something that I you know just do to, do right now as a throwaway line um, you know you one of the one of the things and I, I actually use this as a line in in Kenobi the the Star Wars novel I did last year uh, you know the, 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 the two words I try to avoid are always and never uh, yeah. because just as soon as you say you know there has never been, uh, and a right. who's been the captain of a you know, Constitution-class starship, somebody's going to come along and say, well, I wanted to do that. Uh, right. uh, <laughs> right. uh, and I was going to set my story in the past, and here, look what you've done to me. Uh, exactly. <laughs> <it's>, <laughs> so, you know, put another way, um, you know, I, I, Randy Stradley, who was the editor of the Star Wars comics at Dark Horse, he always says, yes. when you define, you confine uh you know when you when you go out and add a fact to the universe just for the you know just for the point of putting your own imprint on it uh and not for a story purpose there's a good chance that you might be cutting off a, an avenue that somebody could explore later on uh oh right yeah there's all sorts of you know how how many how many star trek and star wars and thing uh, various you know franchises how many how many books and comic books and things are coming out every year? Uh, yeah, definitely. it's a, it's a it's a huge number, and we it's really important that as many avenues remain open as possible.
1: For for you, um, to one of the things that I really noticed about this book in it in its levity and its humor was just the way that you kind of let the characters talk, and I, I felt like you know when we do watch Star Trek, you know, the Next Generation is a little bit more. Um, Thespian, and sometimes the language can be a little stilted and 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 tight. Um, and in this book, I, I felt like you were letting the characters breathe a lot and just be able to express the emotions they're having. You know, and everybody feels very—I I, get to me—they felt really real. Well, um, just talk to me a little bit about kind of getting into the the characters' heads and, and writing them.
2: Well, we have uh, we have the characters in two different time frames in this story. We have them basically it around the time of season 5 uh which is I, I i i think that was when uh you know this flashback is set uh of tng and then of course it's it you know we have the bulk of it which is set much later uh you know the the thoughts with uh you know my approach to the characters in that earlier time frame the 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 actors in the tv series their approaches to the characters you know, it evolves over the course of the seven years, uh, and right, then, of course, right. into the movies themselves as well. Uh, you know, William—I'm uh, uh, you know, sorry, Jonathan Frakes, William Riker—he, uh, you know, certainly gets much looser. Uh, in yes. his delivery, as time <laughs> yeah, goes on, definitely. as the series, you know, what, what is what is the what is the line on uh, on TV tropes? The series grows the beard, uh, exactly. <laughs> as as we get from that early, uh, you know, if, if my flashback was set in first season or second season, it wouldn't have been as uh, you know the characters probably wouldn't have been as easy and comfortable with each other uh, as they as they are in that fifth season. Uh, flashback that we've got. Where at that point we actually have seen Picard smile a few times. At right. that point we ha- we have seen these guys confronted right. with the pack lids and some horrible, you know, just foolish situations with, that they've had to they've had to cope with. Uh, and so it it actually becomes possible you know, by that point in time uh, that you know you can have a couple of laughs with these guys uh yes and, and of course now we get to you know riker you know uh, much later uh after the after the end of nemesis uh and and riker in the rest of the book uh, for the most part is just he's mr cool he's seen it all he's he's uh you know, he he's he's dealt with these things before uh, he lets himself get captured because he knows there's absolutely no way uh, that these characters are going to keep uh, their hands on him. Uh, you know, he he's able to you know play for time and do the things that he needs to do. Uh, and you know, we we the fun thing about this is you know we're able to have a, a, a well as you mentioned there. There's a there's a there's a scene with uh, him and Deanna uh, just you know in a situation where they're not sweating this situation at all. They know they've got their way out. Uh, you know, we have uh Ensign Medan, Madan who is in the same, you know, jail cell with them. Her 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 reaction is concerned how are we gonna get out of this place? Yes. It's like,
1: <laughs> I loved that. It's scene. like, no, no,
2: we got this. Okay, we got this. Yep. And meanwhile, of course, we have Tuvok over here, and Tuvok is such a blast. Uh <laughs> because I I I I think between Riker and Tuvok You've got the best chance for a Kirk-Spock dynamic uh, yeah. uh, that you're probably yeah, going to get, so too. Uh, because uh, because just of their, their, their you know the way their personalities are, uh, and yeah, you know, I I think that you know having him watch these characters uh, you know and and you know make his sort of wry observations every now and then, uh, you know I I think that added a lot of fun uh, to the project for me, and I think for the readers too. I hope.
1: Yeah, and that was something I kind of wanted to to have you talk about uh, a little bit. Was, um, you know, after having the big series, the fall. Um, what were you hoping to just kind of talk uh, to to accomplish in that character development of, of Riker? Says is this is the first book where we're seeing him, you know, out of the fall. He's an yep. admiral and and all of that. Where were you kind of hoping to? You know, you don't want to sit, you said you don't want to set anything in stone, right. but you know, as a writer, you also want to get to say something about the characters.
2: Well, you you look at, you know, places for story opportunities. Uh and one, you know, real important story opportunity or or, or thing that that is out there in All Star Trek, uh you know, has to do with rank and uh the responsibilities of rank and uh the tensions that can be brought on by people you know, of different ranks in the same situation or, you know, an outside person coming in, uh, you know, back to the original series. I mean, you've got these Federation commissioners that would show up and they would Mm -hmm. just ruin things. (laughs) Uh, You know, mentioning that old West End uh, board game, it was actually written into the rules that (laughs) if there was a Federation commissioner on the Enterprise, the Klingon <laughs> player got to decide what the Enterprise did next because would, that's funny because it would invariably that's awesome <laughs> it would invariably be the worst possible decision that could be made for the Enterprise. Uh, well, well, that is that is something that is is actually you know I wink at that in the book and in fact even mentioned you know there's you know and yep. these people that he's had to deal with. And they certainly have had a lot of asinine you know admirals that have shown up over the years, or headstrong admirals or guys that you know just came in took over, tried to do their own things uh, and so I wanted to throw that in there, and also the fact that this you know particular you know novella yeah I don't know how much we mm-hmm. want to give away about you know what episode it's a sequel to and what actually is shown in in this story. Um, we can but, definitely
1: do spoilers for everyone. Okay, so if we you haven't spoilers. read the book, we're, we are going to talk about this point in in detail. So you might want to shut off here, but I want to <laughs> let John Jackson Miller just kind of go with the story now.
2: Yeah, uh, this, uh, this, episode, this, this uh, story is really a, a sequel many, many years late to the next phase. Uh, and that is I, I guess it was a fifth series, it's a fifth season episode that 's the one everybody remembers where uh Ro Laren and uh Jordy Laforge get trapped uh in you know in the phased realm so to yes. speak yeah yeah uh you know this this was our first real you know experience with phasing uh the notion of being out of step uh with reality uh you know they 're passing through walls like ghosts and things like that and uh, and it was a it was a fun episode uh and th- one of the reasons that i thought about it with regards to this does relate back to uh, to riker uh because phasing was uh central to the whole pegasus storyline right? yes uh, yes and mm-hmm. and that was a case where you know uh, riker's former captain comes back now an admiral uh and uh you know he was involved with a a shady uh you know experiment having to do with the uh, uh, phasing technology uh you know which was an offshoot of, of uh, you know cloaking technology which was forbidden by the uh you know by the uh, the accords that the federation had signed uh, so you know, it 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 was able to you know by by having this be a story about phasing, it allowed me to hit Riker with mm-hmm. a memory of yeah. uh, you know a negative incident that really could have wiped out his career. Yes. Uh you know in relation to the story that we've got right now where he's now an admiral and he's having to he's having to make these decisions on his own and he's saying to himself well you know uh you know how uh, how many how many uh how many situations am I going to be in in the future where I'm going to be making decisions that are not necessarily to the best interest of my crew right. um yeah you know, and and of course when that happened uh you know when that happened in the Pegasus episode i mean it was it was horrible there was a mutiny and a lot of people died uh and uh so yeah i mean and and the the that was another i, I think fun fact about you know where we set the 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 story by by putting the story immediately in the you know the 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 days after um or actually in in setting the uh uh flashback in the days after the next phase uh there's there's even a reference in the next phase the episode to we're on our way to Geradius Four yes. to negotiate peace mm-hmm. uh you know it, it it struck me that you know this this uh, uh by by setting it then that was before uh Picard found out about the Pegasus incident that was before right. Uh, that was before any of that uh, happened, and so we have Riker you know thinking there in that flashback, you know oh gosh, uh you know phasing I remember that <laughs> so it 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 allows us to take what is the the basic plot of of the story, which is uh you know has to do with phasing as a possible you know weapon as a possible uh, uh you know uh, as a possible espionage uh vehicle. Uh, and, and it allows us to tie it back to the mm. subplot that's already going on here of wow. yeah. uh, Riker confronting uh you know confronting his uh his new role and, and again the the whole idea about uh you know the phasing uh certainly there were a lot of questions that that original episode which was a great <laughs> episode uh yes. you know brought up as far as uh you know you know the science how, how, did these, <laughs> right. how did these guys yeah science how did these guys breathe uh, why were they not falling through the floors right what was the deal with the what was the deal with the with the romulan who was able to sit on a chair yeah. uh, <laughs> right you know a lot a lot of these things uh I, uh keith DeCandido had done a, a a review of the episode uh, over on i guess it was the tour blog yeah uh and uh, you know there was this big long thread of uh, you know conversations including I, I think Christopher Bennett had a, a, his own theory about how phasing worked, and I said that that sounds like it it could work. But then I I I, I as I was writing my own story about it, I realized well I'm going to have to put my own tweaks on that as well because uh, yeah, I think Christopher had come up with an idea that well the the reason they don't fall through the floor is because of the you know the anti gravity in the decking plates.
0: Oh, perfect! I thought it was just that phasing only worked horizontally so vertically you're safe well, it's the, the, horizontally.
2: Thing, it, it has to it has to work both ways because they did pass their hands through yeah. uh through physical barriers yeah. uh, uh jordy would stick his hand into uh in, into the into the monitors uh right uh, that, that uh i i I, uh, honestly, it's 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 scary to say this, but I watched that episode four times while I was writing this book <laughs> because I wanted to I wanted to make sure that I was reflecting everything that could have been done then, and I was trying to come up with a techno babble explanation for why it why it worked the way that it did. And since I was putting my adventure on a planet, I couldn't get away with the deck plating yeah. thing. So yeah, I did have to come up with an explanation that the that. that you know, it's in the it's in the it's in the it's in the novella, I think. Uh, and I didn't say that this is how all phasing works everywhere. It's just this particular kind of phasing, because once again, I'm trying not to establish anything too much. There is that line in there that somebody says, "Well, the, it might not always work like this. Uh, this is just how it works here and now." Uh, but you know that that was, uh, and, and of course, the, the you know the larger thing about the whole phasing thing is it allowed me to tell a a story that i think had a, a a star trek feel to it uh you know with regard to uh you know the issue of war and peace yeah um, definitely the 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 idea for this uh for this thing that i had uh in the story it was actually in a pitch I wrote for an X Men comic book, like eleven years huh. ago. Or actually, oh, wow. it wasn't X Men. It was it was Starjammers. I don't know okay. if you know what Starjammers. <laughs>
0: Starjammers. Yeah.
2: I, I, it was it was a it was a it was a story where uh, and and of course I have was it
0: was Star Starjammers that movie with Michael Jordan where he was a he was a space basketball player. <laughs> <laughs> wrong one, wrong one. <laughs> no, that was and Bugs uh, Bunny oh, was with him. That's Space yeah, Jam. Yeah.
2: That, that's that's the Space Jam man. Yes. Yeah, yeah, no that's uh, I don't know. Uh, yeah, the uh, but uh you know before before all this publishing stuff, yeah, I've got a I've got a degree in international relations. Uh that's what my masters was in. So I okay. I, I I I I was interested in telling stories about war and peace and 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 uh you know conflict uh, and this original, you know, pitch that I came up with just a long time ago, I guess it's what 12 years ago now, uh, visualized the notion of uh, what, if the, the, what if there were two groups of warring peoples that claimed the same place as their holy land or whatever it was? What if you could use technology, you know, sort of with the whole Schrodinger's cat thing uh, to, you know, allow them to be in the same place at the same time? Uh, you know quantum mechanics, or whatever it was going to mm-hmm. be uh, you know what if they actually were sharing the same physical space just out of step with each other by you know a half a millisecond uh, you know it would that be possible it, it, and and what would the ramifications of that be? Well, that was just a story pitch that I had a long time ago it didn 't go anywhere, but as I was thinking about Star Trek and phasing, I realized well that 's exactly what i 'm describing here. Uh, you know this. This is this is a this is a way to be in the same place at the same time uh, with somebody else. It's just there are a number of problems with it. Uh, you know, one of them is uh, nothing is you know physically real in you know the phased world. So uh, yeah, if you're if you're gonna you know try to be in the same place with another group, you better pack a lunch. right (laughs) (laughs) and and so i began thinking through what would the logistics be of of sharing the same place uh and and then of course you know there and i won't give everything away but uh there are there are some downsides to the whole situation as well uh but it just struck me that it would work out as as you know something that would be a fun star trek story it would have the feeling of star trek and that's what's important um and you know, by having sort of this, uh, you know, you know, Star Trek science bent to it, it's the kind of story that I couldn't tell in another, you know, tie-in universe.
1: Right. Uh, exactly.
2: You know, and you know, people always ask, well, you know, what's what's the difference between writing Star Wars and Star Trek? Yeah, you that was actually feel one it. of my questions. Yeah, you, you can just feel it. You can you can you can say to yourself when you're writing a plot development for either series. Okay, this feels a little bit too Star Trek, or this feels a little bit too Star Wars. Uh, this is not in keeping with uh, you know the whole you know feel of the series, and yeah. and in fact that's as we said earlier, that's how everybody judges these things anyway. Uh, exactly. Is,
1: yeah.
2: You know, does this feel too much like a, uh, a you know a, a a something that belongs in another milieu? And, yeah. You know, I, I as as you know to sort of paraphrase uh, you know the old Supreme Court justice uh, you know, uh, how do I know when something is Star Trek? I know it when I see it <laughs> mm-hmm, right. I, 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 I know I know it you know i, I can I can sort of uh, take an idea and put it into the context of all the other you know trek things that I've seen and read and you know gamed over the years. Uh, and I, I you know I think and we when we all do this, uh, say okay this 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 feels like it belongs,
1: yeah, definitely um f- for you, um you know, getting into to Star trek for as a kid, um, did you end up after all the series that have happened, did you end up having you said Riker was your favorite character? did you end up having a favorite uh, a crew or or uh, one of the shows just for you is is always gonna be your favorite?
2: Well, Riker, uh, Riker is my favorite character out of uh, out of Next Gen. Uh, I, you know, out of the original series, uh, McCoy, way, way McCoy. Ah,
1: I'm with you there. He's my mm-hmm. favorite too. Uh, you, know, I,
2: you know, I've got a, I've got uh, you, know, you know, Doctor's Orders is one of the old uh, one of the old <laughs> books from the original you know batch of novels uh, that uh, that I've got around here. I, uh, you know, I, it, it, it's interesting the the. You know, one of the one of the guys that I edited at uh, at Comics Buyer's Guide is a, a name very familiar to the to the Star Trek audience, uh, Peter David.
1: Um, yes, yes. Uh,
2: Peter Peter was our columnist. He was our back page columnist for twenty years, just about. Uh, and he wrote about Trek, you know, and and the differences between the shows and the different feelings mm-hmm. between the shows, you know, for many years. And I, I remember I was in grad school, not not working you know, at the magazine at all. Uh, you know, when he first wrote, uh, I think this is like two years into Next Gen. Uh, mm-hmm. That you know, original series is about the characters. Next Gen is about the Federation. It's about the universe. It's about right. it's about yeah. everything else. And this was before Next Gen, as we were saying earlier, started to focus a lot more on the characters and the relationships. Mm-hmm. The relationships hadn't really formed yet in, right. in, the, in the very early days. Uh, and so, you know, you get to episodes in in the later series. Uh, and certainly, with a movie like Insurrection uh that you know has that more comfortable feel between the mm-hmm. characters and it feels yeah. like it 's more about the characters uh you know what I, I may be the only guy in the world, my favorite of the original cast star Trek movies, I like Rathacon like everybody else. I will watch episode three or rather Star Trek three any time mm-hmm. it 's on yeah
0: yeah i love I, I love you. three too
2: uh because it it, it what does it do that that you know I, I i've been talking about it boils it down to just the core cast it, you know it's it's you know six guys in a starship uh, yep. leaving koruhera <laughs> behind uh, it, it, you know, actually it, actually it's it's five until we get spock back but anyway uh it 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 absolutely you know there's that there's that feeling uh of of you know, freedom. Right when they take off mm. from uh, from the starbase, that yep. you just you you look at that and you feel that and you say, "Wow, this dude just go anywhere."
1: Oh, definitely.
2: <laughs> this this could go anywhere, and uh, you know, it it really in that film, I think, you know, crystallized uh, you know the camaraderie, which I think was the strength uh, of the original series. And I think that's what you want to you look for. What what is the what is the central you know fun thing about each series? What's the thing that you like to see? Um, you know, I I certainly like the camaraderie of the first series. I like the camaraderie of the second series once it all gels and develops. I like uh, you know the fun political stories that they did. Uh, you know the whole uh, you know the, the whole Wharf arc that starts, uh, you know, with the, you know, the discombination thing and just goes on forward through the, you know, the Klingon civil war. Yes. I was yeah. so into that. I thought, again, you know, when, when that was going on, when the Klingon civil war was cooking, uh, I was in a Soviet studies graduate program. Oh, nice. uh, I was,
0: I were was, you was actually, really?
2: I was actually in a Russian immersion. I was too. Well, were you?
0: Yeah. I have oh, a degree wow. in Russian actually. And yeah, Exactly the same stuff at the same time too, probably like around 1990, 91, 92. Yeah. Really?
2: Yeah. Well, that's cool. Where where did you go? What college?
0: I got my degree from the University of Alabama, but I also went to Indiana University for Russian courses as well.
2: I was at the Indiana University's Russian Language Institute in the summer of 1991.
0: Oh, okay. We were there in '94, so three years later. Okay. Yeah.
2: Okay. Yeah. yeah. That was where I saw. <laughs> that is <laughs> That's killer. awesome. That, that is the, yeah, that is, uh, yeah, the, the, the Litany Institute Ruski Russian yep, or whatever yep. it was. <laughs>
0: My wife and I both were there in 94, the same immersion program. Yeah.
2: Okay, yeah, Eigenman Hall. Uh, so yeah. they they stuck us all. Oh, cool. Yeah, I I ended up having I I ended up having to uh, uh, sneak away to steak and shake to eat every oh, night awesome, yeah. because I couldn't speak Russian well enough to ask for anything. <laughs> uh, that cool. Well, that is cool. Yeah, I I but you know that there was there was always that very you know you know Russian you know feeling of uh and 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 that goes all the way back to the sixties. Uh, yeah. you know that that cold war feeling of the of the federation the klingons uh and and you know, certainly we you know at that time yeah, you know, i i just really dug those episodes uh yeah, yeah. and you know the the klingon civil war was was reflective of what was happening uh you know it, it, with the soviet union at the time uh not a civil war but i mean certainly that you know they were dealing with the breakup uh, uh of the country and uh so yeah, I mean I think that, that really sort of tripped the you know triggers that I had, things that I was interested in. Uh Deep Space Nine, the later series, I you know, mm. really enjoy uh you know the, the you know the the deep uh you know political story that you've got there. Yes, that, you, know, there's, definitely. you know, this is this is this is a lot closer to you know, I think what I was trying to do in Knights of the Old Republic. A, you know, a big yeah, sprawling definitely. story. Uh I can that, see that. that that takes in a lot of things at once, and then it all comes to a head uh, in that final episode where everything is, you know, all hell is breaking loose right at, at once. Uh, you know, I, 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 you know, I really dug that uh, Voyager. Uh, you know, I, I enjoyed some of the, you know, stories there, some of the characters, uh, you know, there as well. So, uh, and of course, obviously, I've got Tuvok in the in the in the book here. Yep. I, uh, it's really hard for me to play favorites. Uh, I, a little of everything. Um, and, uh, so it's, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm really appreciative of having gotten the opportunity. Uh, and you know, it turns out to say it was a second chance, uh, to come right. and, <laughs> and do something for the Star <laughs> yeah. Trek universe. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, I think it's so cool that, that you did get the opportunity. One, uh, you know, I really enjoyed, um, the, the work that you did in, in star Wars. Um, you know, I, I, read, you know, all the nights of the Old Republic, all the Knight errant. Um, I, I read, uh, Kenobi and, uh, which for me, I I've been waiting for that kind of book with, with, with Obi-Wan for a long time. Um, just where it was focused on his character. Cause I think there's so much more to that character than we ever really even get to see, uh, on screen or, I mean, you know they got to explore a lot of it in the Clone Wars, but there's all, so much more there that can be done, and so I was really excited that happened, and and I'm glad that you're getting now to play in in the Star Trek sandbox um, because I I enjoyed very much the the characterization you had um, the, the little bit more of the laid back feel that kind of instruction feel that I think we need every once in a while in Star Trek it's it's important to get that and. Um, it was a lot of fun. So for you, John, what is, what's coming up next for you? Like, where, what do the listeners need to be looking for from you? Um, and then two, where can they follow you for the latest news online?
2: Okay. Well, uh, I'm working on a number of projects at the same time here, and not all of them have been announced. Uh, one that has been announced, and of course this, uh, you know, mentioned uh, probably on this podcast before, uh, I, have, uh, I have a Star Trek full-length novel. Uh, that is uh, slated for 2015, uh, presuming I can, presuming I can actually get the thing finished. <laughs> uh, it, and uh, this is, uh, a, as Margaret said in a, a previous uh, interview, uh, it's an Aventine novel or Aventine. I, I, Aventine, I have to get yeah. the. Aventine, is yeah. there an audiobook? the yeah. yeah, Aventine? That's good. I think it's the
1: Aventine, yeah.
2: <laughs> Aventine, yes. Uh, the the, the uh, no, it it, it 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 involves that cast. But it also involves the Enterprise cast as well. Oh, okay. Uh, and I can't get into any more specifics, even the name, right now. Oh, just. Okay. I was
0: going to ask you if you've had any thoughts about the name, but. Oh, uh, I've
2: got the name already. Uh, okay, and I've got the name already, and you know, it, it, you know, it is one of those things where I just came up with a story that I had always wanted to see. Oh, uh, excellent. And and it was it, you know it is it is a it, it's it's a much you know more of a sprawling adventure story it is you know whereas the novella has the feel of a single episode uh you know you want the novel to feel like a feature film uh yeah. and so that's that's really what i've got here and uh i'm you know i'm i'm looking forward to uh you know getting yeah, more hip deep into it. Uh, you know, as I said, I've got some other projects uh, coming out beforehand. Uh, also announced. Uh, let's see, I have a, uh, I have a, uh, I have a uh, short story that's in uh, a uh, anthology called Apollo's Daughters. Uh, there was a Kickstarter earlier. this year. Oh yeah, year. I saw that. Yeah, yeah. There was a Kickstarter earlier this year called Athena's Daughters, which was mm-hmm. uh, you know female science fiction authors writing. Female lead characters, uh, hmm. and the Kickstarter did so well that they went out and they got uh, wow. Mike Stackpole and several other authors, including myself, uh, to provide uh, you know, short stories uh, you know, with with female uh, uh, lead characters. And That's in nice. my case, uh, I'm doing a short story that draws upon uh, the Overdraft universe. Uh, Overdraft okay. is Overdraft is a is a, is is you know a science fiction series of my own. Uh, that I, I started actually a couple of years ago in a short story in uh in the armored anthology that uh that Bain books put out. Uh, and then I followed it up last year with a serial that we did through 47 North um, and it has now been collected into a full-length novel uh Overdraft the Orion Offensive. Uh this is set in my own uh you know science fiction universe where okay. I guess if you wanted to say you wanted to split the difference between Star Trek and Star Wars, it's here. Okay, <laughs> it is. It is. Uh, it 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 is. Uh, it's got elements of both, and so I think fans of Trek would be interested in it. Uh, it is. Uh, it is set uh, in uh, the 22nd century future uh, of Earth after you know we have discovered. Uh, uh, other civilizations, and we have joined sort of the intergalactic uh, trading system. Uh, oh, nice. And the the story is about uh, a uh, a uh, a high risk stock trader who bankrupts his expedition from his desktop. Uh, and <laughs> the the the, the, the awesome. space the space marines with the expedition uh, don't want to go into unemployment. And so they they come back to Earth and they grab him and they say, "You're going to come back with us to all the most dangerous planets with all the most dangerous species <laughs> that nobody will trade with, and mm. you're going to get all of our money back." Uh, oh, gosh. <laughs> and that is that is overdraft, Uh and it is it is a fun. Uh, you yeah, know, since we did it as a serial, it's got that planet of the month uh, or planet of the week kind of a feeling to it. Oh, great. Uh, Going from one uh, disaster to another, uh, it has sort of that lighter feeling that uh, you know you saw in in this Star Trek book and also uh, in uh, in my Knights of the Old Republic series. Uh, but there are also some you know there's some deep thought in there uh, about how you know civilization is and how my particular science fiction universe works. Probably the best thing that that you get when you get to do your own universe is you 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 get to decide the rules uh you right. get to decide the physics you get to say okay that is that is that is that is uh that is uh, a, a, a you know i i like the limitation that having no instantaneous communication between stars introduces it, it makes it makes interstellar trade feel like the age of sail sailing ships mm, uh, you yeah. know when you didn't know where something arrived right. or not uh i like the fact that in my universe uh nothing uh, can go between stars any larger than a railroad car, uh, which means mm. that if you're going to build a big spaceship, you have to break the thing down and then put it back together Lego style <laughs> on the oh, other nice. side. That's
0: uh, and
2: it means it means you have a different feeling. So that everything is not all hyperspace warp, right. you know, all of that. It's not all you know subspace communications. It's you know there's a different thing. There's a different feeling to it, and I think that's really what as a writer, you want is is you know you want to write in some different universes so that you can get to play with some different devices, some different story right, devices. Exactly. I have to say the best feeling that I had uh, writing uh, the Star Trek uh, novella uh, here was I had the characters in a jam, and I said to myself, "Oh wait, they've got a transporter." Yep. <laughs> 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 because I had spent so many stories. Uh, you know, in Star Wars and and in Mass Effect, yep. Figuring out, okay, how are we going to get the shuttle to these guys? Yep. <laughs> because we don't have any other way to get the people off the planet.
0: But of course, if you write enough Star Trek, you have to figure out how am I going to break the transporter so I then have to get the shuttle yep. to these yep. guys.
2: That's exactly it. Uh, you know, I I haven't had to break the transporter yet. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, but but yeah, that's that that's. That's the limitation there. You've absolutely put your finger on it. You have to think in a completely different way. Uh, Why don't they just transport them out? Mm -hmm. Uh, And and every every milieu you're in, you have that different set of rules to work with, and that's why it's fun to work with some different ones. Uh, As I said, Overdraft, uh, folks can find that on Amazon. Folks can find out about all my books uh, on farawaypress.com. I have a behind-the-scenes page with trivia. For every comic book, every game, every novel I've ever done, uh, the Star Trek uh, uh, page is already set up for absent enemies, uh, but I will be getting uh, you know, the, the trivia and the notes uh, up for that. It's sort of like a DVD extra. It's like my commentary of the book uh, without actually following along with the book. It's, it's, right. it's, you know, it's my notes on it. So people can find that at farawaypress.com. They can find me on Twitter at jjmfaraway. Uh, and then they can find me on Facebook at uh, John Jackson Miller. Awesome.
0: Also, John, we should point out, because we mentioned in the news segment that Kenobi is on Audible, your overdraft The Orion Offensive is also available as an audiobook, an abridged audiobook on Audible. So yes. you can grab that there too.
2: Yeah, it, it it is uh it is it is fun. I got my first two audiobooks in the same uh, in the same year and uh you know I I have been listening to that uh you know in, in with my kids in the car and it's they they absolutely will not let me listen to anything else oh, really? <laughs> so it's good it's a good thing that i enjoy the story but uh there you but, go. Yeah. actually that that is that, that i do have a couple of other releases right there that reminds me is uh you know the uh the uh sometime this summer we're going to be getting the paperback edition of star wars kenobi okay uh, yep
1: yep and, i saw that and
2: at the end of April, we'll be getting uh, the third and final uh, Star Wars: Knights of the Old Republic omnibus. Oh and yes, that, yep. That completes the entire fifty-six issue series. That is the end of my Star Wars work at Dark Horse, uh, because that license has moved. Uh, that is not the end of uh, you know my work for Dark Horse. I just did a uh, I did a Conan story, uh, oh, which great. was a real. That was a real change of pace. It was in a. It yeah, was in, I they, bet. It was in the Robert E. Howard Savage Sword issue that came out, okay. Uh, and uh, and so there's so there's that, and uh, and uh, and as I say, there's that that Apollo's Daughters thing. I should mention Apollo's Daughters also has a cover by Joe Caroni. Uh, Joe has done many covers for the Star Trek comics at IDW, uh, yep. and uh, yes, he and has. Joe was the artist on my first comic series. Oh uh, wow. That was Crimson Dynamo, so, uh, which, which, again, is the whole Russian thing. That was – as we mentioned before, I, you know, went, I, I got a Soviet studies degree. The Soviet Union collapsed on my dissertation, yeah. okay. uh, <laughs> uh, and, and all I got out of it was a plot for a comic book.
0: <laughs> well, John, I thought the Crimson Dynamo, I thought that was your, your comic series about the Alabama football team.
2: Oh no no! See, uh, see, I, 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 neg- I neglected to mention that. Uh, I, yes, I was in Indiana for the for the uh, for the for the for the uh, audio uh, or rather for the for the language program. Uh-huh. Uh, as an undergraduate, I graduated from the University of Tennessee, and as oh. a grad student, and and I was a graduate student at LSU. So, oh.
0: <laughs> so. Well, and Matthew <laughs> is a Texas A&M guy, so we've got like all SEC yes. sports ball going. Oh, good
2: here. grief! Yeah, well, yeah. see, I, and. And, and I and I live in Wisconsin. You know what they they do in Wisconsin? They go curling. Uh, they, yeah. they're, there they're, you they're, go. They're, well, we've got we got the Packers, and and that's that's enough up here. But uh, <laughs> but yes, I, I certainly am longing for the the weather of the South after having been up here for twenty years. <laughs> yeah.
1: Well, John, uh, thank you so much for joining us. I, I really won. I, I loved the book, and I'm looking forward to very much the Aventine novel. I think you're going to write. Um, a great dax and i'm excited to hear that um the uh, enterprise is going to be involved somehow so we'll we'll wait for that and we'll be really excited i can't wait to have you back to talk about that as well but i uh, really appreciate so much uh, your time uh and coming on the show with us
2: well and, and i appreciate you having me i i gotta say the you know the welcome that i've gotten from the you know the trek community has has just been really great and i, I definitely appreciate it
0: yeah thanks so much john Well, Matthew, that was so much fun talking to John Jackson Miller. Uh, Great to hear about the background. I didn't know that he actually had written Star Trek before writing Star Wars. So that was great to find out. And To find out that we both went to the same program at the same university was also quite a surprise.
1: Yeah, I mean, it is so uh, crazy that, you know, the world feels so big sometimes, and then sometimes it just feels so small, and so uh, it was great to have him on, I, I loved getting to talk to him, uh, you can tell that he's excited to be writing in the-, in the Star Trek universe, and I'm I'm really glad that he's going to get to continue to do that, so I definitely wish him all the best, uh, and-, and more books to come, and so, uh, great way to start. With uh, Titan novella and look forward to his Aventine novel for sure.
0: Yeah, it's too bad we couldn't fish that title for the Aventine novel out of yeah,
1: it. Yeah, yeah. I think, I, you know, I think it was there. I think he almost said a few things that he, he didn't want to. So, uh, but, uh, you know, good for him. I don't want him to get in trouble and then not be able to come back. That's right. That's
0: right. All right, so yeah, it was great talking today, but it's not the only thing we've been talking about here on the network. So here are some other things you may have missed elsewhere on Trek FM. Previously on Trek Standard Orbit. Marathons for new viewers. If if someone were to say to my 13
1: year old self, "Here is every single episode of Star Trek ever made," I just
0: don't know what I would do. I honestly think I probably wouldn't appreciate the shows as much as I do because they'd be so disposable. Earl Grey. The Ball and Hollow Pursuits.
1: Did he override anything or did he actually just walk no. right in?
2: No, he just hit the button. He just went boopity woop boop. The Ready Room. Yeah, Apple
0: with Mark Fishman. But he's standing outside this building talking to Val and there was
2: this one point in the script where the writer wrote Val reacts to what Kirk said and Bob Justin in his memo said, I'm sitting here trying to imagine how a building is going to react to what our Captain Kirk says. The orb.
1: Runabouts. It definitely feels more like the Old West. Mm -hmm. You know, and you're basically in a covered wagon instead of, like, a train.
0: But a covered wagon that can go warp five. To the journey!
2: Cue on Voyager. Voyager. You know, he got the, the chocolates and the roses and, you know, the I'm puppies. I'm not talking about like the
0: puppy. <laughs> yes. Someone had to do it. I'm not talking about the puppy. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Warp 5. The it almost feels like the writers thought it was fun to just keep throwing facts in and dialogue about him. You know, usually in the <laughs> show bible, you want to see people do things, and they just oh, we'll say, "We'll have this person say this." We'll have a whole episode about how he loves pineapple, but he's
0: allergic to it. <laughs> Commentary: Trek stars. Robert Hewitt Wolf recap. So it's it was like Three Amigos well. or Galaxy Quest, but with Enrice rice. I think it, it might have been. I, I could be wrong about that. I don't know. That sounds you know equally amazing and horrible. Melodic Treks. Vic Fontaine and the S Nine's Jazz. In 1993. Garan was off the role of Jim Corrigan on ABC series TJ Hooker. The part of Hooker, as many of you will know, was played by none other than William Shatner or Captain James Tiberius Kirk. Literary Treks. The insolence of office. But Starfleet's a military organization, and when you sign up for Starfleet, you're you're joining that group, and I think that you give up some of your rights in that situation. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. So check out all of these shows and get your daily Trek Talk fix. We have new Trek Talk for you every day of the week. And some days we even have two shows for you. And you'll find them in a wide variety of places, including on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, Windows Phone, Xbox, and Zune. Or you can stream or download from the website. So grab some shows and find out what we're talking about in your favorite corner of the Star Trek universe. Matthew, we'd also like to remind everyone to drop by and give us a rating in iTunes if you have a chance and a review. We keep an eye on that store. We love to hear your thoughts on the show, and that's a great way to help other listeners or other fans of Star Trek literature find the show in iTunes when they are searching, because it's not really that easy to find the few shows that are around about the literary universe. So if you have a moment... Please drop by and do that. And then if you want to send us other feedback about the show, you can go to trek.fm slash contact. There's a form there. Choose to send to a show and choose literary treks. That will come to both Matthew and me by email. You can also send us voicemail through the website, or you can go to trek.fm slash forums to talk to us and other listeners about the show, about Star Trek books and comics, or anything you want to talk about Star Trek right there on the website. Again, that's trek.fm slash forums and social media. You'll find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Trek And you'll find us on Twitter under username Trek where we're always tweeting away about Star Trek. Now, Matthew, when you're not learning how to throw chairs against the wall, like Riker does in this book, where can people find you? Well,
1: Chris, you can find me on Twitter at MattRushing02. Um, And then, of course, we do a show about Deep Space Nine called The Orb. So you can find me there. Uh, And then... I also have my own personal blog at 42lifeinbetween.wordpress.com. So you can find me there for all sorts of uh, my writings that I do on on lots of different subjects. And so, uh, now, Chris, when you're not phasing in and out of our space-time continuum in in different ways, uh, where can we find you?
0: Well, you never know because I could be right there next to you right now. Just Ugh. phased out of dimension oh, just a little God, bit. God, scared yeah. the
1: crap out I of me. Mean, Chris, don't <laughs> do that.
0: You never know where you'll find me. Which no. I
1: have to mention, Chris, I, I meant to ask John about this, but there is the funniest phrase ever, crud bunnies, <laughs> in the book. Yeah. So holy crud bunnies, Chris. No more <laughs> scaring me like that.
0: Holy crud bunnies. Oh, wow. <laughs> No, uh, you can find me on Twitter. My username is C Brian Jones. That's the letter C and Brian with a Y. You can find me pretty much everywhere in social media under that same username, as well as on my personal website at cbrianjones.com. And besides doing The Orb with Matthew, you can find me every week on The Ready Room with hosts from all around the network and other special guests as we talk about Star Trek news and all five live-action Star Trek series. You can also find me on Warp 5, where we talk exclusively about Enterprise, and I have my own interview show as well called Matterstream. So check all those out if you're interested. Before we let you go, we'd also like to remind you about our sponsor for today's show, Audible.com, the best source for audiobooks online. As we mentioned, they have over 150,000 titles available, but as we also mentioned, they have both Kenobi and Overdraft, the Orion Offensive by John Jackson Miller, which John talked about a good bit there in the interview today. And you can get either one of those absolutely free as a Trek Film listener. Just go to audibletrial.com and sign up for a trial. Choose one of those books or anything you want, and if after the trial period you decide not to stick with Audible, there's nothing to lose because you get to keep those audiobooks. So go sign up today, find out what's going on there in John Jackson Miller's books, and we really thank Audible for helping us keep the show coming to you. Again, that's over at audibletrial.com slash trekfm. Another way you can help us keep the show coming to you is to make a donation to the network. If you go to donate, you'll find different levels of contributions to choose from, as well as alien badges and art prints as a thank you. And those are original illustrations by Tobu Ushi, who does most of the artwork that you see on our website. And your support helps us pay for the cost of production, hosting, and bandwidth that's needed to bring Literary Treks and all of our shows to you every week. So we really thank you for helping us keep the network going. Again, check that out at trek.afilm.com slash donate.
1: Well, thank you so much for joining us. And until next time, live long and read on.
0: You call that light reading? To each his own, number one.
1: Well, thank you so much for joining us, and we'll see you next
2: time. Oh, gosh. Um,
0: (laughs) As we gaze into the book. Into the
2: book.